We want to read our scripture texts for today. Uh, despite what it says about Exodus 3 being our, our first text, it will not be. Numbers 17, 1 through 10 will be our first text. Page 114, I think, in your pew Bible if you want to turn there. But you can just sit there and listen. That's fine as well. Uh, let me set the stage for you. Numbers 17 comes after Numbers 16. We're not reading number 16 because number 16 is a long chapter. I'll tell you what happens. People are upset that Aaron and his descendants are going to be the high priests. The Levites are going to be the Levites. They're going to be the ones to take care of the, the uh, holy grounds. And have a whole bunch of people who say, we want to do that. We think we're okay. We're going to do it like all the rest. Well, what happens in number 16 is that uh, God does a new thing and the earth opens up and swallows takes alive those, there were 250 men plus their families, just whoosh, went down. Everyone's pretty uptight, a little scared about all that. Number 17 then is where, well, is this really true? Has God just chosen the household of Aaron and the Levites to do this or not? And so there's a test that they determine, and Numbers 17 tells about that test. Listen here to God's word. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and get from them a rod for each father's household. Twelve rods from all their leaders, according to their father's households, you shall write each name on his rod, and write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there is one rod for the head of each of their father's households. You shall then deposit them, that is the rods, in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. It will come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Thus I will lessen upon myself, from upon myself, the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. Moses therefore spoke to the sons of Israel and all their leaders, and gave uh, all their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's households, twelve rods with the rod of Aaron among their rods. So Moses deposited the rods before the Lord in the tent of testimony. Now the next day Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Moses then brought out all the rods from the presence of the Lord to the sons of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. But the Lord said to Moses, put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels." that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, so that they will not die. Thus Moses did, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Amen. And then our primary text today is from Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll read verses 11 through 19. We're not preaching through Jeremiah, but we're preaching about Jeremiah. And last week we did verses 1 through 10 where we, God called Jeremiah as a young man, as a, an adolescent, to be a prophet of God. And uh, we pick up today with what must have occurred shortly thereafter uh, in, in God's confirming to Jeremiah who he, who he uh, Jeremiah, was to be. So listen here to God's word. The word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, 
for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, and as a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Amen. <coughs> and then our New Testament text is also our gospel text. From John chapter 17, the first 21 verses, this is the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus. Prayed on Monday, Thursday evening. <clears throat> Somewhere between the time of when they were in the upper room and in the Garden of Gethsemane. Listen here again to God's Word. Jesus spoke of these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. <coughs> I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. <clears throat> I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, <clears throat> I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Well, gracious God, we ask for you to be here in our midst, ministering your word by opening our hearts and minds to receive your word. Uh, We're reaching for it. We want to grab it. We want to hold on to it. But Lord, we know that you're the one who must open us up to receive, to understand truly your word. So come and do that good and gracious work that your name may be praised, even in us, mere jars of clay. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. What do you suppose was going through Jeremiah's mind and heart following his call (coughs) to the prophetic office. Here he is, probably somewhere from 15 to 17 years old. He's heard from God, says, I've appointed you from before you were even conceived, I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. I think things like this would have gone through his mind. Did God really mean that? Hmm. Did he call me? <clears throat> Did he get mixed up? <laughs> Did he mean a guy down the road or something? Well, if he called me, what am I to say? It's one thing to be called as a prophet, another thing to know what to say as a prophet. <clears throat> and what am I to do? How do I go about this? Now, I suspect those were his thoughts because of how God soon spoke to him thereafter. The text that we read today, where God appears to him, God comes and speaks to him, the Word of God comes to him. And I believe it answers those sorts of questions that were going through Jeremiah's mind and his heart after this extraordinary experience of being called by God to serve as a prophet. And the first thing that he had to know was that, could he trust God? Is this really God? Will God do what he says? And so he has this encouraging vision of an almond rod. Jeremiah, as we learned last week, Jeremiah was part of a priestly family. He could trace his lineage all the way back to Abiathar, one of the priests under David, from him all the way down to Eli, and from him all the way down to Aaron. So he had a strong line, heritage, family line, of a priestly line. It was his. Uh, and the Aaronic priesthood in Israel was not established without some pushback. I explained that a little bit when I said what number 16 was all about. 
that whole egalitarian thing that says, well, why not me? I'm just as good as you. Well, they are just as good, but who's God called was the issue. And people saw in Moses' declaration that Aaron and the sons of Levi should be the ones in charge of all the tabernacle and the things that connected with it, they saw nepotism. You know what nepotism is? That's where you, you favor your relatives. Well, no wonder it's <laughs> Levi and Aaron and those guys. That's his brother. You know? It's his brother. What do you expect? And they said, uh, no way. We're going to do this ourselves. We like to. And so it ends up that Dathan, Abiram, Korah, 250 of the leading men of Israel and all their households said no to, to Moses and what God had revealed through him. And eventually, as we said, not eventually, suddenly they were, the earth opened up and swallowed them alive. Moses had no idea how this was going to happen, what was going to happen to those guys. He just knew that God had said this, that, that he should appoint Aaron and <clears throat> Levi. But how do you determine what's what? And so God told Moses, what we read here in number 17, get 12 rods, one rod for each tribe, write the tribe's name, the head of the tribe, on it. So, you know, Aaron's name went on the rod of Levi, Judah, Naphtali, all those tribes were there, and put them before the ark of the testimony, and leave them there overnight. And do you know what happened? Lo and behold, next morning, Aaron's rod alone, of all those 12 rods there, it not only blossomed, budded, but it bore ripe almonds. And God said, there, that shows you whom I chose. I chose Aaron and the house of Levi. They did not doubt that. So when God says, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah is wondering if God has chosen him to be a prophet. What should he say? Jeremiah, what do you see? I see an almond rod. Now, as a guy from a priestly family with that lineage going back there, do you suppose that was an encouraging word? I think it was. Just like I chose the house of Aaron, the house of Levi, I've chosen you. I've confirmed it to you by giving you this vision of an almond rod blossoming because I'm watching over my word to perform it, to confirm it, to make sure that it happens. Put up here number 17.8 again, Andy. You got that there just so people can see it? The rod of Aaron for the house of Aaron had sprouted, put forth buds, produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. All that would have come back into Jeremiah's mind as he sees this. It was not nepotism. It was not just something someone made up. This was God. It was exactly right the way it should be. Now, though he's a family in exile, now it's number 1710. Though he's, you know, he's in internal exile with his family. The Lord said to Moses, put the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me so that they will not die. People are going to wonder whether or not Jeremiah is a true prophet. And he says, I want you to keep this, this rod as a memorial sign, a testimony against people who grumble and rebel against the choice of God. So all that's going through Jeremiah's mind. It's a word of encouragement. Thank you, that's good. And so Jeremiah is encouraged and he's strengthened. Uh, they may grumble, but they're not going to succeed because God has chosen. So 
He's encouraged. Is it me? Yes, it's me. But what should Jeremiah say? He needs some direction on that score. <clears throat> so put up Josiah's timeline now. Andy, if you got that. <clears throat> Jeremiah is called to be a prophet during the reign of Josiah. And uh, he's eight years old when he becomes king. Josiah is. Uh, we did this last year. In the eighth year of his reign, he begins to seek God. That's the second line down there. In the eighth year of his reign, he begins to seek God. Then four years later, in the twelfth year of his reign, he begins to purge Jerusalem and Judea. So he's saying, let's get rid of these idols. Let's get rid of all this stuff. Let's get back to where we should be. And it's going to be another four years, right? Four years? Uh, six years. In the eighteenth year of his reign, they find the book of the law, which had been lost. The Bible had been lost over all this time. Can you believe it? It, it actually had happened. But now, look at the bottom line here. In the 13th year of his reign, of Josiah's reign, God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. In the 13th year. So in between the 12th year and the 18th year, while that's all going on, that's when Jeremiah gets his call. That's good, Andy. You can take those things down now. Uh, You'd think that would be a good time to be a prophet because the religious temperature of the land is going up. Because Josiah, the king, is doing this. His temperature is going up, it's doing a good thing, and you think that'd be right. Uh, but the Lord says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And so now he's going to get the message that he is a prophet, is to deliver to the house of Israel. And it is a message of judgment right in the midst of what seems like a time when there's revival going on, when there's religious excitement and fervor is going up, he is going to have to bring a message of judgment. Because that boiling pot, as we we read through here, shows, God says, that from the north, that is, as the people from Babylon and ever, they come around to the north and make their way down along the Mediterranean coast to Israel, they're going to come and they're going to bring judgment, my judgment, They're not going to just do that on their own. I'm the one behind all that. He wants Jeremiah to know that. Uh, Despite the appearances that you would think in the land of Israel, the land of Judah, there is, in fact, this is, in fact, a wicked people. They have forsaken God, and they worship their own stuff. That's what it is. It says, for they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worship the works of their hands. Shades of Judges 21-25. In that day there, were no king, there was no king in Israel, but every man did what was right in his own mind. That was still the underlying, the real factor in people's lives. They did whatever they wanted. Despite all their religious veneer, they did what they wanted. That would be Jeremiah's message for decades. Now, people, the people in the land will go along with Josiah to a certain degree, but they will not embrace truth. They will not embrace and change their hearts and minds and what they're really going to do and how they're going to live. There's a deep rot 
underneath the surface religion that people have. And Jeremiah's message will not be well received at all. But Jeremiah has the basic core of his message revealed to him now. This is what I'm going to have you say. Well, how shall I go about this? He needs some exhortation next. Can't you put yourself there where Jeremiah is? You've ever been like this and God says this and yes, I've called you and yes, here's the message. You're hearing all this. It's going through your mind. You say, well, you know, I I think I might receive a little pushback on this. (laughs) I think there may be some people who are a little bit upset about this. Uh, I don't think my message will necessarily be well received. I can hear counter arguments. I can even hear official condemnation of what I'm saying. That how can I say such things? So God continues on, verses 17 and following. This is great. Here's what God says to Jeremiah. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them. So I don't care what your hesitations are. I don't care what you think they're going to say. Gird up your loins. Arise. Speak to them. Oh, man. Well, that's just, says, I appreciate what you're thinking, but, but that, that's not sufficient. I've called you. Now, do this. It's an exhortation. He says, speak all of what I have commanded you. He says, don't be dismayed by them. Yes, you're right. You're going to get pushed back. You're going to get counterarguments. Don't be dismayed by them or I'll dismay you. That is, if you're dismayed by them and you somehow compromise your message or or cut it down, I'll make you be the one who's dismayed, not them. Don't be dismayed by them. So it's a real strong exhortation by God. He says, don't worry, Jeremiah, they will not overcome you. I am with you to deliver you. That's strong encouragement. I mean, that'll brace a fellow's heart and soul. So Jeremiah will trust God because God can be trusted, he knows. He will have much opposition. And in the coming several weeks, we'll see much of that opposition. There'll be other true prophets like him who will be executed, just slain. He will not. Because God said, I want you to do this. I'm going to protect you. I'll be with you. Other prophets, God had, his design for them was to be executed. They were. There's going to be false prophets who will arise, who are prophets recognized by the people, who will counter his message and say, no, Jeremiah is full of beans. What he says is not true. Listen to us. He'll give all these reasons. And all of a society will sort of be on their side, not on Jeremiah's. He's going to have tough sledding. But Jeremiah will stand. He finds that God can be and should be trusted, regardless of the response of the people or the culture to whom he sent. Now, let's have some pointed applications for us. We've been called just like Jeremiah. Each one of us here, if you're a Christian person, you've been called. 
Uh, Andy, would you put up that Romans 15, 4 passage, please? For whatever was written in earlier times, this would have been one of those earlier times, all right? Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we can not just say that, well, Jeremiah is a good history lesson, right? That's what happened with Jeremiah back then. Those things were written for us to be instructed by, to be encouraged by, to be directed by, through them. Now, did you hear what Jesus in his high priestly prayer prayed? John 17 is a powerful, powerful passage. It's a prayer, and we're fortunate that God saw fit to include it in the Word so we could hear the prayer of Jesus. Here's what he, he prays. In verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Are you called and sent like Jeremiah? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. As you called and sent me, so I've sent them into the world. If you're a Christian person here today, it's pretty obvious that you're called to go into the world. The entire prayer of Jesus presumes God's call on the lives of his people. Listen to this, verse 20. <clears throat> I hear what some people are thinking. Well, hold on, he was praying for his disciples, right? He's praying for his disciples there because he knows it's going to be a tough time. Listen to verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these disciples alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Did you believe the words of the apostles? Did you hear what they said? Do you? Well, Jesus prayed for you and me right there in verse 20, but the whole thing's prayed for us as well. But, but he says it explicitly there, so we'll know that, that it's not just a history lesson back again for, for the disciples, it's for us. If we miss that, we miss the most important part. Now, who's us? Who are Christians? Verse 3 of chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what a Christian knows. And by knowing, it doesn't just mean head knowledge. It means knowing in terms of unveiling and seeing. Of, of, you not just heard about this, you, you, you've received revelation about it. You, you know who God is? and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's eternal life. That's revelation. That's what Peter received there near Caesarea Philippi when he said, Jesus says, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's eternal life is to know that. Again, not just knowledge in your brain. You need knowledge in your brain. No, no question about that. But your, your being knows that and receives that and says yes to that. Now, you know, when do you actually know that? When do you believe that? I had a conversation with someone over the last two, three, four weeks. I don't know when it was. And uh, talked about how this fellow was a microwave Christian. You know what a microwave Christian is? 
You don't know what a microwave Christian is? Well, what's wrong with you? <coughs> you people, my goodness. A microwave Christian is someone who, boom, just like that, you know, you put a little bit of water in the microwave, turn it up, next thing you know, it's boiling. Well, as Christians are like that, they're also, boom, they have a sudden moment. It's like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. That's a, boom, microwave experience. Other Christians are like oven Christians. They bake for a while, right? They bake for a while, and then all of a sudden it turns out, well, you know, I really do believe that stuff. I mean, it's, it's actually coming here, and, and I believe, you know, it's not just that I know it, but I believe it. <coughs> so they're oven Christians. You getting this? Some people are crockpot Christians. <laughs> not crackpot. Well, there's some of those too. <laughs> but crockpot Christians who they've been seeping in this for a long time. And all of a sudden, it makes sense. I told you, well, it's been years since I've told you that, but my good friend Elmer Broom, the guy who founded the Department of Aeronautical Engineering at Purdue University, uh, he got converted, lifelong Presbyterian. Michael's not here today. He's done. A lifelong Presbyterian who got converted when he was 68 years old. He had prayed the Lord's Prayer every day of his life, as far as he knew. He'd done all these things, but he hadn't, he didn't understand who God was, who Jesus was. He was a crockpot Christian. All of a sudden, it opened up, and he believed. Elmer became a Gideon. He'd go out there and hand those Bibles out on Purdue campus. Yeah, that's the guy who founded the School of Aeronautical Engineering. He's given Bibles out. No, he doesn't have dementia. He has Christ. <laughs> You know, so, so the point is, regardless of who you are as a Christian, there's all kinds of ways to become that. You'd be a microwave, an oven, or a crock pot. If, if you're a Christian, the Lord Jesus and God himself has sent us into the world. We're supposed to go. Can you trust him? Listen to this. Verse 14, Jesus praying, I have given them your word. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's given us his word. Will you believe it? Will you share it? Will you live it? We need to stand in it, whereabouts in it. Here's the first, th first thing I would suggest you need to resolve in your mind. This is a, uh, we've done this here for years, so it's not anything new. You need to stand in the fact that God created the universe. You realize that simple point is controverted, is rejected, is said no to by the world. They have all sorts of other ideas, but here's the thing that God created the world. He wrote the manufacturer's handbook. He wrote the user's handbook too. It's called the Bible. But all this works the way it does without failure 
time after time after time to the millionth degree because he ordered it to be that way. I've harped on that for a long time, but that's where you need to go with that. You need to start with creation because God owns it all. He made it. It will work by his rules because he made the rules. It has specs. Morality is included among the rules and specs. Not just the physical world, but morality is there. So a week ago yesterday, I was among the people down at the Lansdale Library for the Drag Queen Story Hour. You probably heard about it or read about it. Uh, Now that was a lose-lose situation for Christians. It was a lose-lose. If you don't show up there, they say, well, Christians don't care because it's been publicized, got all this stuff. If you do show up, you're a bigot and a hater and all that. So it's a lose-lose situation to begin with. Where it should have been one ahead of time, I don't have time, um, is by us talking to Christians, talking to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people we meet in the street, our waitresses, our waiters, etc., like it, about the truth of God's Word. So I'll give you an example. One of the servers at a place where I eat with some regularity uh, had commented to me before the uh, Drag Queen story hour, but when it was in the news, says, oh, uh, this particular server did not like the fact that there would be people there protesting that such was taking place. Because after all, people should be able to you know, express themselves and do what they want, and you shouldn't be a hater. Right? And this is a person who's a graduate of Christopher Dock High School who's saying this to me. Could have been any other high school, could have been any other college. And uh, my, my thought as I talked with the person, was not to argue about the morality of it on the basis of, of uh, you can do that, <clears throat> on the basis of it's morally wrong, but back to creation. God created human beings in a binary. You know, all the world right now is saying there is no such thing as the, as the sexual binary for hum- humanity. That's a big enormous lie that they're saying. God made us male and female. That's the truth. And you can do all the, you can have, you can have surgeons, you can do surgery, drug us and give you medications, but they will not change whether you have an extra Y chromosome or not. Did I get that right? I can never remember if you get an extra X or an extra Y, so I don't know which is which. But you, know, you can't change that. And so when I talked with the server, I said, uh, you know, what's happening there is a great deep deception for everyone. Because somehow we believe that because someone wants to be a female, they can dress that way, act that way, pretend that way, and therefore they can be one. Hello, Jeremiah 17, or Jeremiah 1. Uh, 16, where it says they worship the work of their own hands. 
If that's not the work of our hands, us saying, we'll be this, what we want to be, regardless of what God has done, I don't know what is. And so when we talk with people about these things, we should not get into histrionics about the morality and perversity and all Go back to creation. Say, here's where it begins. You have to have this foundation. Otherwise, you'll just be shooting balloons around and you won't get down to where the real matter is. Did God make us male and female? He did. Can we go from one to the other? You know, I can go from being a chicken farmer to being a pastor. I can go from being a pastor to a fired pastor. <laughs> I mean, but I can't go from male to female. <coughs> See what I mean? Can't do that. We need to be able to talk with people here in our world about matters like that. I'm two minutes over, but I want to give another example of this. <clears throat> You'll hear uh, the senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, was questioning a, uh, someone who has been nominated to serve on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, the one out of Washington, D.C., I think it's the Ninth, and asked the question, do you believe that homosexual relations are immoral, are a sin? Now, that should never have been asked in the first place because we have a thing in our nation that says you cannot have a religious test for office. But you'll be asked that, and you do need to respond. Do you believe that homosexual behavior is immoral? And we must say, yes, we do. It's taught that. God's declared that. Because he's made us male and female. He's spoken explicitly to those kinds of relationships. And we cannot say otherwise unless we want to go in combat with him. And we don't want to do that. I'll go in combat with other people, but not with him. Try not to, right? Can God be trusted? Do you think that what he said is really true? Where the most important conversations take place, where we are our Jeremiah's, or in our neighborhood, or talking to our server, or if you're a server, talking to some of your clientele, a baseball practice field, a little league, a co-worker, you don't get all riled up about it, but you have to be faithful to talk and go back and say the things God has told us to say, stand for them. Now, Jeremiah was called to look at, Jeremiah, what do you see? I see an almond rod. I'm going to say, Christian, what do you see? We see Jesus praying in John 17. And he tells us, he's prayed for us. Can he be trusted? He's prayed to us that we would stand. That we'd be faithful. He sanctified us to the truth. Will he give us grace to do that? He will. We look to Jesus and see that even though the world slayed him, God raised him.
He raised him never to die again. We must trust God and his word. So God says to us today, the same thing he told Jeremiah those thousands of years ago, gird up your loins, arise, speak all that I've commanded you. God can be trusted. Amen.